Hello, welcome to episode 27 of the Hockey News on the Dub podcast, brought to you by BetMGM. I'm Carol Schramm, here with Adam Kurzenblatt, and as we record this on Tuesday, the finals are complete across all three CHL leagues, so our field is set for the Memorial Cup, which starts this Friday in Kamloops. On today's podcast, we'll take you through the WHL final between the Seattle Thunderbirds and the Winnipeg Ice, then bring you up to date on the latest signings and player movement in the WHL. After that, we'll preview the Memorial Cup, including a full rundown of what to watch for with Seattle and the host Kamloops Blazers. Then we'll check in on the New York Islanders as our NHL Team of the Week and finish off with a look at Nate Danielson of the Brandon Wheat Kings as our Prospect of the Week. So let's kick things off with uh, the headlines this week and a rundown of the WHL Final, which saw Seattle win four straight games to take out Winnipeg in five. Um, Adam, you originally predicted Seattle in seven. Were you surprised to see the Thunderbirds get it done so quickly um based off of how winnipeg had played all year this was very surprising um but this is this is kind of a repeat of last year where winnipeg couldn't get it done against edmonton in the east uh eastern conference final now you know they fall and they have a kind of disappointing series against the seattle thunderbirds so uh yeah it was a little bit surprising to see them uh, bow out in five i thought that you know if it wasn't going to go seven, at least they would get one more home game in six and they would make it a series. And, and it's weird to think that how strong the Winnipeg ice were, they couldn't win more games than the Kamloops Blazers did against the Seattle Thunderbirds. So it's just kind of, it, it was a, it was very surprising to see a Seattle win, especially going four straight. That was probably the more surprising part of the five game series. Yeah, that's a really good point about the Winnipeg versus Kamloops thing and sort of underscores um, the validity of having bla the Blazers in the Memorial Cup mix there as the host team. We'll talk more about this later, but uh, certainly not uh, something to be um, taken lightly. Uh, can you run us through some of the quick highlights from that uh, series between Seattle and Winnipeg? Yeah, so since we last recorded, we talked about game one and two. So in game three, four, and five, Seattle walked away with victories in all three of those games. And they outscored the ice 13 to six, which was uh, another huge surprise, especially considering all the offensive weapons that the Winnipeg Ice had. So in game five, Nico Majadovic's third period penalty shot goal ended up being the game winner, which is something that you don't often see, not only a penalty shot, but a penalty shot that is the game winner. And uh, one player that we'd like to talk about, goaltender Thomas Millich. He was named the playoff MVP after going 16-3 during the postseason. He also posted a 1.95 goals against average and a 9.33 save percentage. So it's like Thomas Millich, he's just really good. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's really all you could say at this point. Um, now, one surprising part about this series was uh, the ISIS scoring. So over the... Uh, season they averaged over four goals per game but when it came to the whl championship they never scored more than three goals in a game so that really underscores how good millich was how strong seattle's defense was and just kind of what happened with the winnipeg ice where they just couldn't put the puck in the net um and yeah hopefully this performance by thomas millich is enough to finally get him drafted uh, we've been saying it all year. This kid deserves to be drafted. I know that, you know, he's not the tallest or biggest goalie in the world, but I, what, what else does he have to do at this point to get drafted? Maybe win a Memorial Cup? Yes, that would be, uh, <laughs> I think that would be the cherry on top. And if he didn't get drafted, uh, I don't, I don't even know what to say anymore about that. Um, 
some other notes. So Luke Prokop, he will be returning to the Memorial Cup for the second straight season as he was with Edmonton last year when they beat the Seattle Thunderbirds in the WHO final. And uh, Dylan Gunther will finally get his chance. He was part of the Oil Kings last year, but he missed the tournament due to an injury. So exciting to see what he's able to bring. A lot of talk around why Edmonton didn't win the Memorial Cup was because they didn't have him available. Uh, we know how strong of an offensive player he is. So we'll see what type of impact he can have on the Seattle Thunderbirds and the tournament. And one final note here, head coach Matt, uh, Matt O'Date was an assistant coach when Seattle won the WHL championship in 2017 and went to the Memorial Cup. So uh, he goes from assistant coach uh, during the last time Seattle makes the Memorial Cup to head coach this time. So that's a pretty cool transition to see. Yeah, and he took over as head coach of Seattle right after that Memorial Cup run. So this is his sixth year at the helm um, before getting back there. So uh, sometimes, you know, when you see the NHL coaching carousel, it's pretty rare for a guy to even get six seasons in one place. So uh, nice to see him be able to stay and develop this team and uh, and and get to uh, at least a shot at the top of the mountain this time around. And of course, it's also fascinating to see that the Thunderbirds were successful with their strategy of loading up on all of the uh, top talent of, with the, all those big trades over the course of the year. Um, the ice, of course, made a big acquisition when they pick up, picked up Zaka Stopchuk from the Giants and the Blazers brought in Olin Zellweger, but uh, they just didn't have the same volume of top talent that Seattle accumulated. So uh, we'll see how that all uh, plays out in the, uh, in the Memorial Cup setting. Um, it's interesting to see that while Dylan Gunther and Brad Lambert were both acquired by trade during the season and were Seattle's leading scorers, um, the next two top scorers on the team were Jared Davidson and Jeremy Hansel, who um, were already sort of incumbents within the organization. Uh, really, really good tournament for Hansel, who ended up basically being the top defenseman for the Thunderbirds on a really stacked roster. And we'll talk more about both of them in a little bit. Um, just a quick rundown of uh, the top point producers in the WHL playoffs. Um, Kamloops's Logan Stankoven led the playoffs with 30 points. Uh, and his teammate, Olin Zellweger, was tied with Winnipeg's Matthew Savoy for second with 29 points. Gunther led the league with 16 goals. So that uh, relates to what you were talking about, about just his offensive explosiveness. And um, Winnipeg defense defenseman Ben Zlotty led the league with 23 assists in the playoffs. And uh, I also couldn't help but check that uh, despite the fact that he only played seven games, Connor Bedard's 20 points still uh, slotted him into 12th place overall in uh, WHL playoff scoring. So not bad for uh, only, uh, only one round of work. Um, we'll have a little bit more on Bedard in a bit as well, but uh, let's go continue on with the headlines and look more younger now to uh, the prospects draft that just happened a couple of weeks ago. We've got uh, more signings coming on sort of day by day and eight of the top 10 picks have now signed on with their teams for next season. Yeah. So um, as of recording, eight of the 10 picks have uh, already been signed to their uh, contracts for with their WHL drafted teams. So we'll start out in Victoria where they signed uh, Keaton Verhoef, who they picked fourth overall. Uh, the next pick in the draft, Jackson Jacobson signed with the Brandon Wheat Kings. And then the Giants were able to sign their top two uh, picks, uh, sixth overall Ryan Lind and eighth overall pick uh, Brett Olson. Um, and then when we look at Prince Albert, they were able to sign their first and second picks from last week. They were able to sign their seventh pick, Tyler Mooner, uh, earlier this week as well. 
Um, and then looking at players outside of the top 10 that have uh, been signed, Edmonton was really busy. They signed three of their draft picks. So 12th overall, Joey Ginla, he was signed to a contract as well as their second round pick, Parker Snell, and their third round pick, Joshua Lee. And then the other two outside of the top 10 that were signed were Beckett Hamilton, who was drafted 18th overall by Red Deer, and uh, Georgis uh, Pantelis, who was uh, 19th overall, drafted by the Brandon Wee Kings. So uh, the only top 10 players not signed yet uh, are Matt Medicine Hat, Liam Ruck, and 10th overall picked Everett's uh, Brett Lisk, but those should be signed uh, pretty soon, and we should start to see also players uh, outside of the top 10 signing. It's just a matter of time, making sure that the players have stable opportunities next year, the teams knowing where they're going to go, making sure that they don't want to go, you know, the BCHL, AJHL, whatever other route. So expect some more signings over the coming weeks. And then after the NHL draft, uh, we'll see some more as well. Okay. And we also had a trade this week. Yes. So we did have a trade where Brandon sent 2003 born defenseman uh, Logan Hammett to Vancouver for a 2024 first round pick. Um, now this trade. Sorry, was, I'm just going to stop you right there. Fourth round pick, not a first round pick. Sorry, 2024 fourth round pick. My mistake there. Um, so reason for this trade is that Brandon had six 2003 born players on the roster. So at this point, they're trying to find some opportunities for their potential overagers because they're only allowed to carry three 2003 born players next year. So a little bit about Logan Hamlet, uh, Hammett. He's listed at 6'1", 190 pounds, and based off of the scouting reports, he is a shutdown defenser who will bring some stability to a Giants blue line, who is generally pretty young, and uh, that will be important because they are losing uh, Dylan Anderson this year. So now we come up to a situation with the Giants where they have seven 2003-born players. So now we'll see if the Giants start to move some players around. It's always kind of a carousel with these overagers because, you know, you can bring... You can bring as many as you want really to training camp, but you have to have three uh, once the season starts. So you'll see a lot of players, um, you'll see a lot of teams start making these moves with these overager players. So we'll see what happens. And as for Hammett, um, he's an undrafted player. So this is one final chance for him to show his stuff before, uh, you know, maybe signing a contract in the uh, NHL, AHL, or deciding to go off to college. Um, that's great. Yeah. Like you say, we'll see uh, more player movement, uh, much like in the NHL over the next couple months as well. The offseason is it's an illusion. No, no one ever really takes time off. Uh, OK, let's move on to the Memorial Cup, the big story of the week. Uh, the stage is now set for the tournament starting on Friday. We've got the Blazers as the host team, the Thunderbirds as the WHL champs. And then coming in from the east, we have the Peterborough Peets representing the OHL and the Quebec Ramparts from the Q. Um, just to give you a quick rundown of how the tournament works for this first six days, there's one game a day as the four teams go through the round robin. And um, a scoring change this year, after going to a three-point system last year they're actually reverting back to a two-point system for this year's tournament so winners get two points whether they win in regulation or overtime and losers get zero points whether they lose in regulation or overtime so it's uh, cut and dried and there's no advantage whatsoever to uh, pushing things beyond 60 minutes all wins count for two and all losses count for nothing um, overtime rules do change between the round robin and the playoff round but uh, in the in the 
preliminary round. It's three on three sudden death in 20 minute periods until a winner is decided. There's no shootouts. So um, that's probably one of the reasons why they're not giving anyone any encouragement to go to uh, beyond 60 minutes. Uh, so we could be in for some marathons depending on how things go. After the preliminary round, the top three teams will advance out of the four. Um, if a tiebreaker game is necessary, it'll be played on June 1st. Then the semifinal goes June 2nd and that's two versus three. Uh, and then the winner of that game will play the first place team in the championship game on Sunday, June 4th. All the games will be broadcast nationally on TSN in Canada and on NHL Network in the U.S. And uh, if you want more information on the teams from the OHL and the QMJHL, please check out the other podcasts in our family. Uh, Tony Ferrari and Brock Otten have you covered for uh, the Peterborough Peets and the O, and Will McLaren and Jamie Tozer will cover the Remparts on THN on the Q. Um, but just very quickly, Adam, do you want to walk us through uh, starting with the OHL? Yeah. Um, before I do that, I just want to say watching four overtimes of three-on-three -three hockey would be absolutely incredible just to see how exhausted the players are at the end. Uh, I love three-on-three -three overtime, so I'm really excited to see how this uh, ends up playing out uh, over the tournament. Um, well, the reason why it's three-on-three -three is because it's a lot harder to go for overtimes. <laughs> Yes, uh, that is definitely uh, for sure. Maybe it's testing for the NHL. Who knows? Um, so we'll start off in the OHL with the uh, Peterborough Peets, and they'll be making their 10th appearance in the Memorial Cup. So even though they've been there 10 times, they've only won it once. Uh, that was coming back in 1979 with their last appearance actually in the tournament in 2006. So to get to this point, uh, they had to defeat the London Knights 4-2 in the OHL final, which was... Uh, a lot of fun hockey to watch. And this is a really interesting uh, Peterborough Peets team because they finished 10th overall in the OHL and they had to defeat the number one, number two, and five seat just to get to this point. So, you know, this is definitely a team that has worked hard and earned their spot in this uh, Memorial Cup. Yeah, if there's an underdog in this tournament, I guess the Peets are probably it. Although I have a little bit of a soft spot for them because I did a story with uh, with Brennan Othman uh, earlier in the year for the magazine, and he was still with Flint at that time. And so seeing him get a chance to uh, be traded to a team that's contending and then see the uh, see them go all the way through and take down the mighty N London Knights is certainly uh, a big exclamation point that they are, uh, are worthy of being here. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing what, uh, what Peterborough is all about. And then uh, in the queue, we've got uh, the Quebec Ramparts. Yeah, so in uh, the Quebec Ramparts will be making their eighth appearance in the Memorial Cup. Uh, they have two uh, championships so far under their belt, with the last one coming in uh, 2006. Uh, they defeated the Halifax Mooseheads 4-2 in the QMJHL final to get to the Memorial Cup. And it's interesting because the only two losses that they actually suffered the entire playoffs were against Halifax. So that just shows how dominant this uh, Quebec team has been start to finish this year. Yeah, and uh, the other headliner item about Quebec, of course, is the fact that they're coached by Patrick Waugh, who uh, brings a certain amount of swagger and star power of his own. Uh, I have a friend who lives in Kamloops and uh, is going to be involved doing some volunteering and stuff around the tournament, and she is already just losing her mind that Patrick Waugh is coming to uh, her hometown for the, for the Memorial Cup. So it'll be really fun to see. There will be a lot of 
you know, Hall of Famers and NHL VIPs around Kamloops over the next 10 days. But I think for uh, for Patrick to be behind that bench, certainly the the joy that came off of him when they won that sixth game and won the title against Halifax was really palpable. So it's pretty cool to see from uh, from him at that level. Anyways, we will leave those there. Uh, like I said, go to our OHL and QMJHL experts if you want more on Quebec and uh, Peterborough. And uh, then we can go back to where, where we shine the best, which is uh, here in the dub and uh, our Seattle Thunderbirds Memorial Cup preview. Yeah, so this will be the Thunderbirds' third opportunity in the Memorial Cup. Um, they're still looking to win their first title. Uh, so based off of how they played this year, I think they have a pretty good shot of it. Uh, especially after that uh, dominating performance against Winnipeg in the in the uh, WHL final. So their appearances, they first uh, were in the tournament back in 1992 when they hosted, and then they also made it uh, back in 2017. An interesting fact about that 1992 series was that Kamloops won its first Memorial Cup uh, during that uh, tournament, which was held in Seattle. So, you know, maybe a little bit of history repeating itself with the roles reversed where Seattle could win their first Memorial Cup in Kamloops. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. Um, how Seattle got here was that they swept Kelowna and Prince George through the first two rounds, took down Kamloops in six, and six, and then as mentioned, eliminated Winnipeg in five games. Uh, they come into the Memorial Cup with a ton of momentum, having won four straight games. Uh, and they also uh, finished the WHL playoff with a perfect round, uh, when lead, uh, perfect record, when leading after the first period, going 8-0 over their uh, 19 playoff games. Um, and then one last note about Cam, uh, about the Seattle Thunderbirds. They like to win big, as 11 of their 16 victories were by three or more goals during the postseason. Uh, yeah, and another advantage that Seattle may have compared to Peterborough and Quebec, of course, is the fact that uh, they'll be in familiar territory. They're back in Kamloops less than three weeks after they beat the Blazers in the Western Conference final, and they finished that series at the Sandman Center as well. Um, they won two out of the three games that they played against the Blazers in Kamloops. So uh, I'm sure after having one celebration for the uh, Western Conference trophy, um, I'm sure that will stick in their minds and they would really love to hoist the Memorial Cup on that same Sandman Center ice on June the 4th. Um, now let's take a look at a couple of the players to watch who we mentioned briefly earlier, a couple of guys who have been with the, uh, the Thunderbirds for a bit and uh, are not the uh, high profile trade targets who get talked about all the time. Yeah, so uh, we mentioned both of these off the top of the show. We'll start with Montreal Canadiens prospect uh, Jared Davidson. Not only has he uh, been contributing offensively with 23 points in the 19 games, he's developed into one of the best shutdown centers in the WHL and was one of the best shutdown centers in the playoffs. Uh, won 54.6% of the 438 faceoffs he took and had a plus-minus rating of plus 17. He was a key member of the Thunderbirds penalty kill, and he helped limit the dangerous ice power play to just two goals on 18 attempts in the WHO final. So he is going to be super key um, with all of these teams that are some of the heaviest hitters in the CHL coming to uh, the Memorial Cup. And then on the back end, we'll look at Jeremy Hansel. Uh, despite the Thunderbirds having three drafted players on the blue line, Hansel has been Seattle's best defenseman throughout the playoffs and, you know, arguably maybe even the regular season. Uh, he led all defensemen on the Thunderbirds in goals with five and points with 22, despite being used in a matchup role against the opposition's top players, which tells you that he's able to take 
full advantage of his opportunities. Uh, a 2003 born undrafted uh, player. He is draft eligible. So the hope is that this Memorial cup can boost his draft stock and maybe get him into that uh, drafted category, kind of like a Thomas Millage. Um, now you've got an under the radar players from player from Seattle as well for us. who's also an undrafted guy. Yeah. So uh, Kyle Kornkovic, uh, this will be his final few games in the, in the CHL as he is a 2000 born uh, winger. Um, so this is a guy who has really stepped up as the playoffs have gotten longer. So later on into the series, this is where he really has thrived. So through the first two series, he had two goals and four points in eight games, which is, you know, pretty good. Half a point in a game. I, I wouldn't say that that's a, that's a bad turnout. But against Kamloops and Winnipeg, he had four goals and 11, a point, 11 points in 11 games. He also scored in both of the clinching games versus Kamloops. Uh, where he scored the game winner and then added the empty netter in game five versus Winnipeg. So we'll definitely have to watch him uh, and see what he has for an encore as his WHL and CHL career comes to a close here in the Memorial Cup. Yeah, and um, he was brought in by uh, by Seattle at the uh, end of last summer, um, played most of his WHL career with Saskatoon, and then uh, was uh, traded for by the Thunderbirds in exchange for Connor Roulette and a draft pick. He's, it's a bit of an under-the-radar deal compared to uh, the Gunthers and Lamberts and Prokops and Allens of the world, but uh, like you said, he's been really prominent in this playoff run so far, and I think uh, a lot more people are going to uh, get to know his name over the next 10 days or so. Um, what's, what's Seattle's Achilles heel? If you were coaching uh, Kamloops or Quebec or Peterborough, how would you try to uh, take advantage? Well, we all know that Seattle is a very physical team and that's great, but they have a lot of issues staying out of the penalty box. So they were shorthanded 68 times over the 19 games. So about three and a half per game, which I mean, isn't great. If you're giving your opportunity, if you're giving your opponents, especially these high powered offenses, three to four power play opportunities per game, eventually they're going to burn you regardless of how good your penalty kill is. Um, they did have an 85%. But as mentioned, you know, they can't be giving these opportunities away. Like players are going to be, uh, these are the best of the best that are coming to the Memorial Cup. So it's, it's just going to be, it's going to be very interesting to see if they adjust their physicality level, if they adjust how they play, or if they just say, you know what, we're strong enough on the penalty kill. We have faith in our penalty killers that we're not going to change anything about their, about their game. They're involved in a lot of, you know, those after whistle scrums, you see a lot of players being taken off where it's, Two players will be taken off, but we'll also see how that relates if the referees in the Memorial Cup decide to just take one to kind of send a message. So, yes, this is definitely a concern going into the Memorial Cup if you're Seattle, but hopefully they don't, you know, sit back and lose that physicality because that is something that definitely played a massive factor in them getting to this point. Yeah, it certainly has seemed like there was lots of emotion in the uh, in the final series in the O and the Q, but uh, I imagine the unfamiliarity is not the same as the, uh, you know, sort of hate that will already burn between uh, between Seattle and Kamloops when they uh, when they face off in the last game of the round robin. So uh, that will be an interesting sort of dimension of that as well. So um, let's take a look at Kamloops as well. And, and as mentioned, even though they're in as the host city, they are certainly well deserving of being there. 
Yes, so this is the seventh time that Kamloops will be appearing in the Memorial Cup, and they've won uh, three titles, with the most recently be, uh, coming in 1995 uh, in Kamloops. So hopefully some uh, repeated, uh, they're hoping for repeated history uh, for sure uh, when it comes to winning the Memorial Cup at home, uh, and we'll kind of see what uh, what type of home crowd uh, and what type of atmosphere they're able to produce in Kamloops over this Memorial Cup. Um, yeah, those those 90s years were crazy, too, because that 95 um, Memorial Cup was the climax of three wins in four years. And so to dominate like that and to be able to get that last win in front of uh, in front of the home crowds, that's the kind of thing that legends are made of. And uh, we still hear about that to this day. And it still is part of what makes the junior hockey culture so strong in Kamloops and has sort of led back to them being the host city now. Yes. Um, you know, WHO has a lot of history with repeat uh, uh, winners. You know, you look back at the team that I know that my dad watched uh, growing up in the newest Minster Bruins, uh, their domination over um, uh, over a massive span in the 80s. So, you know, these it's really it's really cool to see when teams can pull off uh, multiple victories in a short span, especially at the Memorial Cup when considering how much turnover there is between the roster year per year. And, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, so just run us through uh, how, how Kamloops got there, what, uh, where, where they're, they're at right now. Yeah, so um, the uh, how Kamloops got to the Memorial Cup, obviously they were the hosts, so regardless of how they did in the playoffs, they were going to be here, but they didn't take that as an opportunity to lay back as they swept the Vancouver Giants and Portland Winterhawks in the first two rounds before falling to the Seattle Thunderbirds uh, 4-2 to two in the uh, Western Conference Final, but, you know, put up a fight and weren't out, really stayed in games and showed Seattle that they are uh, ready for whatever they can throw at them at the Memorial Cup. Uh, this will be an interesting um, situation to watch because they have had 18 days before games. So their last game was May 8th. Their next game is going to be May 26th. So we'll see if there's some rust or maybe some uh lack of focus that comes maybe in the first uh period of the game but i'm sure that uh they know what's at stake and they're going to kick their game up a notch like they did in that western conference uh final so uh just some facts about Kamloops from this postseason despite playing fewer games than winnipeg seattle and saskatoon they finished with the most power play goals in the playoffs with 21 uh in seven of their first eight games this postseason they scored five or more goals so like seattle they have no problem putting the puck in their uh in the net and as mentioned logan stankoven led the whl playoffs in points with 30 in 14 games while olden zellweger was just one behind him uh tied for second with 29 so very exciting to see what kamloops is able to bring to this memorial cup that's for sure all right and we got a couple players to watch from the blazers yeah, so we'll jump to uh, Washington Capitals prospect Ryan Hofer, uh, the other part of the Olin Zellweger trade that went to uh, Kamloops. So he finished the playoffs with eight goals and 15 points in 14 games. And with most of the opposition's attention being focused on Stankoven, Hofer will need to step up and produce against favorable matchups if, if the Kamloops Blazers want to advance to the Memorial Cup final. And then, of course, most important position on the ice goaltender, Dylan Ernst, a uh, great opportunity for him to boost his draft stock with a uh, strong tournament. The 19-year-old, this will be a second time through. In uh, 14 games, he had a save percentage of 913 and was the first goalie to record a win against Seattle in this year's playoffs. 
in the short tournament format, like the Memorial Cup, goaltending plays such a key factor. So he'll need to bring his A game every night if the Blazers want to escape away as champions in front of their hometown uh, fans. Uh, and then you've got a uh, under-the-radar player as well. I know this is a guy that you really like. Yeah, somebody that uh, I am a huge fan of, and that is uh, Toronto Maple Leafs prospect Fraser Minton. So he's had a quiet playoff so far, only with four points in 10 games. Uh, now, this could have been due to an injury as he missed Kamloops' first-round series with Vancouver uh, with an injury. Um, so we'll see if the 18 days off and some rest have gotten him back to full health. But, you know, he's a player that he's is going to be so crucial for Kamloops, even though he, even if he might not produce the points, just his play on the penalty kill in matchup rules, that's just, he plays such an important uh, role on this Kamloops Blazer team. And uh, we'll see if that uh, contributes uh, to, if he's able to contribute with points or if it's just his strong overall two-way game that uh, really makes a difference in this uh, short tournament. And, uh, and what do you think is uh, the question mark or the weakness for the Blazers? For the Blazers, um, it is their offense from the blue line outside of Olin Zellweger. Now, this isn't uncommon in the WHL. There are a lot of teams that rely heavily on only one defenseman, but through the entire postseason, uh, Kamloops has only gotten one goal from a defenseman not named Olin Zellweger, and that was Kyle Masters who scored in Game 4 versus Portland. So they went the entire series against Seattle without having a defenseman score a goal. In total, uh, def- Fenders only produced 16 points over the 14 games, which isn't great. You want some type of offensive production from the blue line. We we know how good Olin Zellweger is, but let's say that he plays 30 minutes. That's still 30 minutes that you need to find production from your uh, blue line. So as much as he can put up the points, for Kamloops to really uh, show that they're how that they're dominant and that they can go all the way their defense has to chip in with some points here or there because, you know, a, two or three goals from the defenders could be the difference between advancing or, uh, or leaving the tournament early. Yeah. And especially in a one game format like this or a single game round Robin um, every, the importance of every game, every period, every shift is, uh, is so elevated, but um, on, like, as you mentioned on the positive side, what Kamloops obviously has going for it is the home ice advantage and a, a very passionate fan base that will supports them all the time and is going to be super super excited to see them in this environment. So it was interesting to take a look back and see um, how often home teams actually do win the Memorial Cup. And over the last 10 years, we've had three. So it pretty much, you know, everybody kind of gets their turn if you if you want to look at it that way. Like it, it's at least as often, if not a little more often than the uh, the teams that qualify as champions. Schwinnigan won in 2012, the Windsor Spitfires won in 2017, and uh, the St. John Sea Dogs won last year. Um, the tournament was canceled in 2020 and 2021. So the, all told, the Q has won the last three Memorial Cup titles dating back to 2018. The OHL won three straight before that. So you have to go all the way back to the Edmonton Oil Kings in 2014 for the last WHL win. So uh, with uh, Kamloops and Seattle vying for that title, we'll see if they can bring the, uh, the pride back to Western Canada this year. Uh, All right. Um, We've got lots to cover still. So we will turn to the NHL team of the week and burn through the New York Islanders who uh, don't have a ton of WHL representation. Yes, they only have one player that uh, played in the WHL and that is Kamloops Blazer winger uh, 
uh, Dylan Kiefler, who we'll be able to see at the Memorial Cup this year. Uh, listed at 6'1", 192 pounds, he was drafted in the sixth round back in 2012, finished the season with 31 goals and 61 points in 54 games, and added an additional seven points in 13 games during the postseason. A 2002-born prospect, he signed his entry-level deal with the Islanders on May 19th and is expected to start next season at the AHL level. Um, looking at the Islanders as a NHL franchise, they have four players that have ties to the WHL. Most notable is Matthew Barzell, who was the captain of Seattle when they went to the Memorial Cup in 2017. That season, he was named playoff MVP after posting 25 points in 16 games. Now, this season, he only skated in 54 games due to a lower body injury, scoring 14 goals and recording 51 points. So not the best season by his standards, but still very productive. Um, we'll jump over to the blue line here with uh, Ryan Polak, uh, who uh, also has developed into a key uh, piece for this uh, um, New York Islanders team, arguably their best defenseman this year. 26 points in 82 games while averaging uh, over 20 minutes of ice time. So it's really nice to see him develop. And uh, also we saw some games out of Parker uh, Wotherspoon. Uh, he played 12 games with the Islanders. Uh, played the majority of the season with Bridgeport, as well as Dennis Shalowski, uh, former Prince George Cougar, who only played in two games with the Islanders and 67 games with Bridgeport. Uh, perfect. Uh, now we will finish off with our uh, WHL prospect of the week. And uh, much like your boy Fraser Mitten, this is somebody else I hear you speak glowingly about very often. So uh, give us the lowdown on Nate Danielson. So, uh, Nate Danielson, Brandon Weeking's right-handed center, um, is a player that we could hear very early in the draft before the 15th overall pick, I believe. Um, he's ranked uh, 13th, or he's ranked 7th uh, among North American skaters, which was a bump up from his 13th rank at the midterm uh, rankings. He's considered the, uh, to be the best two-way center available in this draft. So he is an older prospect born in uh, September 2004. So he's a little bit more time to mature uh, and develop physically, um, and that really has suited him. He was named the co-captain of the Wheat Kings this year, where he uh, posted 33 goals and 78 points in 60, 68 games. Uh, a smart player that doesn't make mistakes. This is a guy who is already considered close to NHL ready, so you don't have to wait a ton of time to get him. And uh, whichever team drafts him, they're looking at their potential second-line center for the next decade. I know that some teams or some analysts say, he might drop because teams will say, well, we're not getting a first line center, but I mean, how can you turn, how can you turn away the idea of drafting your future second line center when it's so difficult to get second line centers at the NHL? Yeah, he doesn't, he's not going to go out and score, you know, a hundred points at the WHL level or at the NHL level, but he's going to be that like, you know, we talk about how important second line centers are constantly in the NHL. So for me, this is a slam dunk. Whoever gets him, they're getting a fantastic player. And I'm excited to see how he develops and how quickly he uh, uh, progresses to the NHL level. Well, I hope that you uh, keep waving your pom-poms for him because uh, I know that there are a lot of organizations who believe that they need razzle-dazzle big time with a top 15 pick in order to sell season tickets and excite their fan base and all kinds of things. And um, your average fan wants to get pulled out of their seats by a top 15 pick. So uh, Danielson sounds like a little bit too much like a Honda Accord to me from your descriptions. Like, it's a great car. How can you turn down the money that you're 
you're going to spend on a Honda Accord that's going to serve you well for 20 years. It's a really, really good responsible choice, but it's not necessarily as fun as going out and, uh, you know, getting yourself, a, a, I don't know, a Tesla. Um, so, uh, uh, well, I'll, I'll leave that there. That that whole metaphor just kind of came out of nowhere. But uh, I'm curious. And again, it's no slam on Danielson. I love the fact that you are very high on him. I know there are some other analysts who are high on him as well as the ones who think that maybe he doesn't have quite enough pop to be ranked as highly as he is. So we'll see how it all shakes out. Um, now that we are a month out from the draft, it seems like a little bit of the bloom has come off of this WHL draft class compared to how highly they were being touted earlier this year, um, with the exception of Bedard, of course. I don't think anybody is expecting him to go anywhere other than number one. The, uh, the, the Shane Wright situation from last year does not seem like it's showing any signs that it might repeat itself at this point. Um, I've been hearing so much about the Europeans, and also it seems like everybody is tying themselves in knots trying to find some defensemen that are going to be worthy of being selected in that um upper section of their first draft as well. So it'll be really interesting to see how those conversations evolve over the next little while. Um, next week, we will talk about another WHL prospect as we continue to get you ready for the draft. We'll also check in on the first part of the Memorial Cup and then run through another NHL team of the week. So make sure that you join us then. Uh, for now, you can check out Adam's Memorial Cup preview, which is already up at the Hockey Writers. Uh, we also have a big Memorial Cup preview coming on the Hockey News website later this week and uh, I will have some content as well. Uh, our draft preview issue of the magazine is also starting to make its way out into the universe and uh, my profile of Connor Bedard is, is in there so uh, make sure you check that out when you get your hands on it. Uh, as always thank you for listening and if you haven't done so already make sure you subscribe to THN on the dub on your favorite podcast platform to check out past episodes of this show and all the others in the Hockey News podcast family go to the Hockey News dot com slash podcast. Have a great week and we will talk to you again soon.